Hey everyone, I wanted to thank you for listening to another episode of Speed Bumps. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If you're listening on Spotify, I would really appreciate if you clicked that five-star button. And if you're on Apple, you can click the five-star button and leave a written review if you're so inclined. If you're interested in coming on my show, you can reach out to me at speed.bumps.com podcast on Instagram. When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. I wanted to welcome you to another episode of Speed Bumps, and today with me, I have Ron from New England, who hosts the Wicked Planet podcast. Him and Buckley Anonymous Sean do great shows on world topics, plus a little bit of history, and the perspectives are just phenomenal, so I really appreciate you being here, Ron. Thank you. Oh, no problem, Elle. I, I know that we've been wanting to get together for a while, so I'm glad I was able to make it happen. Yeah. So here- yeah. Before... We get started. I know I mentioned this beforehand and you made a joke, but I have to ask you, can you please tell me two things you love about yourself? Two things I love about myself. Yeah. But uh, you like it. If love like is I too said, strong. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if there's anything I like about myself, but I guess, but I guess one of the things I like about myself is how outgoing and friendly I am and how uh, forgiving I can be. To some people that probably don't deserve forgiveness. Fair enough. Going back to like the big one, my dad was brutal, like for my whole life. But, uh, but anyways, you know, it is what it is. It, you know, life, life hands you certain circumstances and you have to just learn how to adapt and get through those circumstances and not let it give you any type of long, like long-term trauma. Right. Yeah. But that's one of the things that I that I like about myself. And the other thing about myself, and my wife has even said this, how extremely loyal I can be. So I think that's something that I like about myself because I know, you know, not in this, just this day and age, but, you know, for, for a whole lifetime, I, like when I was younger, it seemed like people were more like more apt to be loyal where now it's like anybody will throw you under the bus. You have to be careful. Oh yeah, oh yeah. About anything that you say or do or help, even if you help somebody, I'm one of them guys. If I help you out, like you will never ever hear about it again. Yeah. Like I will, ne- I will never say, "Well, you remember that time I did this and this and this for you?" Like I don't do that. Yeah. So, uh, so I don't know. I guess that's a a good attribute that I have as well. Yeah, definitely, and. You know, going back to the first thing you said of not letting your speed bumps uh, control your hold have long-term effects. Obviously, some 
may have long-term physical effects or whatever, but not staying in that victim mindset is really key. You know, if I did that, L, I would be rolled up into a ball crying myself to sleep every day, right? So you can't do that. I have had, you know, you want to talk about speed bumps. Like my life is just one speed bump after another. It's a rumble strip. Yeah. In my, in my, in my family, we all, we always used to joke. It's like, oh, one dilemma down on to the next one, because that's what it is. It's like constant something going wrong, something going sideways. And, you know, the bigger your family, the more that's going to happen. That's just how that works out. Yeah. And me being the oldest one in the family, you know, excluding my mom, who's going to be 85 in April, you know, a lot of things fall on me, you know, I mean, my younger brother that's with me, uh, he actually had to take off. That's why we may have to pause at some point here. Mm -hmm. He had to deliver his hogs to the butcher today. So, and and he did give me a heads up on Friday about that. So I knew he was going to do that. But uh, but he's uh, really, uh, I mean, been through, I mean, he lost his daughter, my niece, when she got killed. That was a little over, it would be four years of summer. And uh, so, I mean, he's, you know, trying to do the best he can to come back from that. And it's just awful, horrible yeah. situation. But, uh, but between him and I, we carry a lot of the weight around here to try to make sure that we can, just as something as simple as we got this huge snowstorm this weekend and and we tag teamed our snow removal duties, you know, I mean, just things like that. It's, we have lots of driveways here. We have the business that you got to keep that plowed out. My mom's driveway is probably 500 feet long, like at least. Yeah. So, uh, and we have a, you know, a few, a little country apartments and we got to make sure those people can get in and out. So there's a lot going on and that's just, you know, one thing like not, not that it's a dilemma. It's just, these weather things that come up and you have to change and stop whatever you had going on. Yep. Right. You got to just stop that. And you have to do that because that definitely has to be done. Yeah. Yeah. There's no pushing that off until tomorrow. Yeah. So weather gives us lots of speed bumps up here. <laughs> That's fair. And you're up in New Hampshire, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 We just got a storm. I mean, it varied depending on where you are. We're on the uh, Southern tip of the lakes region. So we tend to get, a little bit more snow than they do down the southern part of the state, like for sure, but nothing compared to what's north of the lakes region, where whatever our snow totals are, it's double up there. Okay. But but anyways, yeah, so here it is. But now it's 40 degrees out. It's actually really sunny out. It's beautiful outside. No chemtrails in the skies yet. So yeah. uh, hopefully hopefully some of the snow will melt. I think, I think this last storm was winter's last hurrah. As far as, you know, any amount of snow goes, because usually March, you know, there's the old saying in like a lion out like a lamb. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've ever heard of that. And uh, and hopefully, hopefully we're going to be headed towards the lamb part of it, because, you know, we didn't have any snow, like very little snow off and on from January, February. I mean, leading up to Valentine's Day, we had no snow on the ground, just a few snow bankings. And then we have been nothing but hammered ever since. And yeah. I'm just, I'm done. Yeah, I know in Connecticut, we've only really gotten maybe one, two good snowfalls the entire winter this year. 
the most recent one was a couple weeks ago where I was at, it was maybe six inches, maybe. And that's the most snow we've seen all year. Yeah, that's nothing here. I mean, we'll get an overnight snowstorm and we'll have three to six inches. At this last storm, I want to say we got, I don't know, 12 or 15, which is a fair amount of snow. And not only that, but it was wet. Oh, that wet heavy, yeah. stuff, Yeah, good for snowmans and snowballs. Other than that, no good. The trucks don't like it. My back doesn't like it when you're shoveling. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm an old guy, but I still do it. You're not that old. I'm pretty old. (laughs) You're experienced in wisdom. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Why does every other podcaster say that? Is that a nice way of saying that I'm old? (laughs) So for me, it's not. For me, um, getting old is a privilege denied to many. And I personally, I can't speak for anyone else. For me personally, the people who are older and have these life experiences, I genuinely look up to. Um, for the longest time when I was a kid, I didn't know if I was going to get old. So right. I genuinely appreciate those who are older than me. And so I know some people say that with sarcasm or whatever, but for me, when I say it, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm being very true and sincere in that I do see it as wisdom and things like that. You know, I always try to, uh, pass a little bit of that knowledge down because, you know, I don't consider, I mean, I'm 59, I'm not old, but. Uh, but I couldn't imagine 59. Uh, and, you know, when I was younger in my 20s or whatever, we had lots of older people would come up to the shop and they were customers, you know, lifelong customers. I used to pump their gas when I was a little kid. And uh, and I always would love to sit down and talk to them. You know, I've always been a talker. I like to listen to stories and I like to, you know, kind of take those things in. And back then, of course, we had a lot of World War II veterans and a lot yep. of Korean War veterans and and then, you know, some Vietnam veterans. But those guys are all gone. They're all gone now. I mean, I have some Vietnam vets uh, that still come up to the shop, but they're in their like mid-70s now. It's kind of crazy. And I can remember the Vietnam War when I was young because uh, there was a couple of neighborhood kids that used to hang out at the old garage. And I remember when they got drafted. Yeah, they all got drafted on the same day. But uh, but anyway, so all them old timers that I took in the old stories, and it's just like even just historical stuff about this town. Uh, I, I remembered saying, oh, yeah, well, that'll be interesting. I wonder what I'll have for stories when I'm their age. And, and now I'm their age. I mean, I mean, I don't even know if they were even as old as me, like back then when they were telling me these stories, which was which was kind of cool. So I had a lot of a lot of. uh older mentors growing up, right? People that would always try to, you know, maybe seeing something I was doing and maybe I was being an idiot or something. And they would say, Hey, no, Ronnie, try this. I had a lot of people from, uh, uh, from, uh, well, let's just call it what they were old gangsters. Okay. That used to do business with my dad. And, and that's a whole other story for another day. But but I grew up around a lot of these older people. And uh, I'll tell you what, you want to talk about life lessons, learning lessons, like street lessons? Yeah. Those are the guys that I, I really, because my dad was pretty street smart as well. But uh, I learned a lot from those guys. And I just try to uh, take what I learned from them and then like put it uh, a spin on it to kind of go into what's going on in the world now. 
because none of these lessons, like these lessons don't expire. Right. You know, the time frame is ir- irrelevant. A lesson is a lesson, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, you know, and I try to talk to younger kids. And when I say younger, I mean, you know, sometimes teens, sometimes people in their thirties, <laughs> you know, like, like I, I have conversations with Buckley. I mean, Buckley and I, we get along great and he's a good kid, but he is to me still a kid. I mean, he's only yeah. like th- 33 years old. You know, that's, you know, half a lifetime ago for me. Like, I can't even remember what I was doing when I was 33 years old, other than, you know, getting up, doing the grind, working every day, trying to have fun, you know, and I was pretty wild back in those days, Uh, you know, just going off and doing whatever it was like, like you worked like back then I had this different setup to where if I got all my work done, say by a Thursday, like if I had my project for the week done by Thursday, I was able to take Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Mm-hmm. And then we, I would get on my bike and my buddies because they all worked uh third shift. So Friday morning, they were off. Once they got out of work Friday morning, they were off until Sunday night. And I'll tell you what, we would get on our bikes and we would just no tell them where we would end up. So that's what I was doing in my thirties. You know, of course that's, that's those days are over for me. I'm just uh, an old uncle now, right? So, do you still have your bike? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the same motorcycle I bought when I was in my twenties. That so so that's the last bike I've had. But I had probably ten other bikes up to that one. I w- I've been on two wheels since I was probably five or six years old. Okay, so that was just it was just a way of life for me. And the town that I grew up in in this area is very well known for motorcyclists. Like like the state of New Hampshire, I want to say is has the second most motorcycle registrations per capita in the country, because motorcycles are a really big deal here, like huge deal here. But um, but yeah, no. Once I got into off roading and four wheeling, where I kind of wanted to get away from being around people as much, you know what I mean. Uh, when I wanted to just be out in the woods, uh, be away from everything, pack a cooler with some drinks and some food and just go you know, a hundred miles out in the woods, like yeah. in one direction. And I mean, that is so satisfying to me. And I mean, I lost several friends from motorcycle accidents, uh, some from their own fault and some not from their fault. So I got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I mean, I was never scared of the danger of it. But what it is now is, you know, in the cell phone era that we're living in, people are so distracted. Yeah. And you could literally be alive one minute and and because somebody's messing with their phone, be dead the next. So I just assume not take that chance. I mean, I have a lot of people that rely on me, so I need to be here for them. Yeah. Yeah. My uncle, he actually lost one of his legs in a motorcycle accident. Yeah. There you Uh, go. It's real easy to do. It's super easy. And you know, that was probably 40 years ago. Now he's since passed. Um, he was actually a Vietnam vet too. Died of Asian orange. Yeah. So um, I've always considered going on a motorcycle because I like, like you said, the idea of being on your own and things like that. But it's not that I don't, I don't trust myself. It's I don't trust the other people. And that's exactly it right there. You know, one of the things I tell younger kids that are riding like, uh, like there's a young kid. Well, he's not young. He's probably 24, 25. And he just started uh, riding bike. 
and uh, he came up to the shop this last summer and showed me his new bike. Nice bike. It's uh, I forget what model Harley Davidson it is, but it's really nice. Mm-hmm. And I was actually happy that he selected that because he was riding like some crazy like katana or ninja thing or whatever before. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're going to kill yourself on that thing. So, uh, I mean, that's what I rode. You know, that's what I always rode was Harley Davidson. And uh, not that you can't <laughs> go fast on them because I certainly did that. But uh, but I was telling him, one thing you always got to remember when you're riding is always pretend that you're invisible. And that and that's the best piece of advice I can give anybody on a bike. Never assume that anybody else can see you. Yeah. Now, yeah, I always had all my little tricks. I mean, I had, uh, before that bike, I had bought, it was the only bike I ever bought brand new. I bought a 1981, I'd just gotten out of high school. A 1981 Kawasaki KZ1000, and that was an awesome bike. I wish I still had it today. But uh, but I was riding that one time, and we were getting ready. It was like a, uh, like a Thursday night, and we were getting ready to leave the next morning to go on a camping trip, a uh, motorcycle camping trip. Mm-hmm. And I was just down in the, the uh, not my town, but the bigger town uh, right next to us, and I was just running around doing errands. And this lady from Massachusetts turned right in front of me and and I smashed into her. And uh, luckily I didn't get hurt. My bike got tore up pretty good, but that, that ended my camping trip that weekend. Yeah, I'm sure. The only time that I had gotten into a motorcycle wreck, you know, other than, you know, stupid stuff, like when you're doing donuts and you flip over the wrong way and, or actually, you know, being hung over sitting on my motorcycle and it tipping over on top of me, you know, kind of things like that. <laughs> which there was plenty of that going on, but I led, uh, I led quite a, quite a insane lifestyle for many, many years and I'm still here. So, so I'm pretty, so I'm pretty lucky. <laughs> you, as... uh, you've had some divine intervention. I would take it to make sure you're still yeah. here. Yeah. You know, uh, in the, in the more I think about it, I've had a lot of that in my life. And I think even recently too, as well. I know, uh, Maybe recently isn't the right term, but you took in your niece, little G. How long ago was that? I've had little G now for over two years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She was nine when we got her in that whole process. That took a year because it was during COVID, like right in the beginning of COVID, right? So everything was over Zoom calls, which is fine because, I mean, you know, we're on Zoom all the time, right? And, uh, but just the paperwork and, oh, this person's out because her husband has COVID or this person yeah. is around this week or whatever. I'm like, oh, my God. It was it was like a year to the day. And I can remember when I first got the call that we were going to start the process. My wife and I and another couple that we hang out were with were uh, actually in Nashville at the time. And that's how I know it was almost a year to the day because we had gone to Nashville uh the days leading up to Labor Day weekend. Okay. So it took that whole winter, spring, summer. And I told him, I said, listen, she needs to be in my house to start new school year in the, in my school. Yeah. Like before school starts. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't a week to spare. She had, of course she had come and stayed with us on weekends or whatever to try to get her acclimated. Uh, and then she, she, we got her into the house like completely. 
And it was that following week she, she started school. So, uh, but what was cool was it was a school that she initially started out in. So, uh, so she started out in our school district and then she went to a school district in a town, uh, like two towns over for, uh, I want to say a year and a half or maybe two years, but, uh, but yeah, she's been with us ever since she's doing good. She's on honor roll, gets her name in the paper. She just got a, uh, art recognition award from her school. Like literally just got that last week. Uh, she's a really good kid. She's very thoughtful, but she's also very devious like her dad. And, uh, and she has a lot of her mom's traits, which I'm trying to kind of work on getting rid of those, you know, but I mean, she can't help it. It's in her DNA, right? Yeah. But, uh, but I keep her on the straight and narrow. She's, she's a little social butterfly. She, uh, she never wants to be home. Like, I mean, she had a sleepover this last weekend at one of her friends. They had a big girl slumber party, birthday party type of thing. And she either wants to stay over my mom's on the weekend or her other Nana's on the weekend. So that kid's all over the place, which is cool because she's very social. Yeah. She has very good social skills. And that's something that I think kids are lacking nowadays. Agreed. Is, is like social skills, like at all. And, uh, but she has them. So, so it's good. We're doing, I think I'm doing a pretty good job. Of course, her and I have always been close because when she was still with her parents, they lived in one of our apartments right here. Like, right. Like she could, she would have her mom put her in a stroller and wheel her down to the garage, like two or three times a week to see me and her uncle, her other uncle. So, so we have a very good relationship. Uh, my wife tells me I spoil her like big time. Which, I mean, there might be a little degree of that, but I mean, the kid's been through so much trauma, you know, I just, I want her to kind of know that, you know, life doesn't always have to be like that. I mean, her life was crazy. My youngest brother was insane. <laughs> I mean, he really was, and he has been his whole life. I mean, he's not with us anymore, but it's like, uh, you know, between that and drugs and alcohol and, and you know, little G's mom, same thing, not really alcohol, but drugs. Uh, I can say that she's doing better now. Her mom's doing better. So, so we're, we're hopeful that she stays on the, on the straight and narrow, but, but I don't see her ever taking little G back. I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I mean, I was granted her, uh, legal guardianship until she was 18 years old. And then when she's 18, she can decide whatever she wants to do. It's totally up to her, but I have a feeling she won't want to go too far. She got, she got a pretty cushy life right now. Well, I know the episode that you did with her on your podcast and she was talking about different books. She sounds smart as a whip. And she is extremely smart. Yeah. Like just rattling stuff off and uh, definitely, definitely very intelligent. You know, this kid reads like you would not believe. But I mean, I get that because I'm a reader. Uh, my brother, her other uncle is a big reader. Our mom is a huge reader. And, uh, and little G, she just likes to read. And I think maybe in the beginning, it was uh, maybe an escape for her. Yeah. Right. Like an escape where, where when I was young, it was books, but mostly music, like music was my escape. Uh, because, you know, I, I, you know, I worked like every single day. I worked seven days a week growing up. So when we had our gas station, I worked after school every day and then all day on Saturday and half a day on Sunday. So I didn't have. Uh, I didn't have like a normal childhood, like upbringing or whatever, but, uh, and at the time, you know, it's, it sucked, but I mean, now I look back and I'm like, well, I'm kind of glad that that 
you know, turned out that way because it made me advanced. You know, I, I learned a lot of skills there <laughs> that I was, that I still able to use in my life, like even today. So, but, you know, but kids, they, they don't know that. I mean, I mean, up here in New Hampshire and New England, there's a lot of farms still. So those kids grow up in a farm atmosphere where they're working every single day. I mean, I had a very good friend of mine. We're still friends to this day, and he still does the same thing. He grew up on a dairy farm, and his dad would say, well, if you want to go raise in hell with your friends, they better come and help you get your chores done. So we would all drive up to it. I mean, his farm was like way out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, We would all converge on his farm, help him do his chores while he did his milking. We we would uh, shovel cow crap, and we would you know help him out with the hay and stuff like that, and get him all done. And, and then we would go off and have fun, but he had to be home the next morning. Like I want to say he started milking at like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. So I can tell you he was not feeling well on some mornings when he had to do his chores. I'm sure that yeah. gas station that you talk about uh, when you were a kid, that was what your dad owned. And now that's where the auto body shop that you have now is correct. No, this is a completely different location. Okay. okay so so my grandparents were in the car business and they had a gas station. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking back in the 1920s and 1930s. And they had a little gas station that was called Lane's High Octane Gas. Of course, it was just, you know, gas was gas. Gas is still gas. I mean, yeah, it has different octanes. You know, that's what your regular, your mid-grade and your premium is. That's so just based on higher octanes, right? So, uh, but they had this little two two-pump garage. And uh, with just a little building, a little office. And then my grandfather used to work on cars in this uh, like little garage that was under the house where you could actually fit quite a few cars. Now, I never was there. I don't I ever remember that place, but I got a ton of pictures of it. So when my dad got out of the service, he uh, he was a painter. He was a house painter. So he did that for years. And then he was on his way up to the lake from Concord. And this is the like the main road back then. This was before the highways were put in. And he drove through this town and he saw this little house and this little garage with two gas pumps for sale. And he said, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy that place. So, you know, however, and I mean, it was cheap money back then. It was like $12,000 for like a house that had not been lived in in probably 20 years. So when they bought the place, we had to, you know, he had to do a lot of work to it to to make it good. Uh, after he bought the house, he didn't have enough money to pay for gasoline to put in the ground. So he worked on cars. He bought and sold cars, uh, did a little body work, a little painting. You know, back then when you could paint a whole car for 65 or $70 and make money on it. Now it's yeah. like, it costs like, like if you brought a car in here for me to paint the whole car, you, you know, give five, six up to 10 grand to do a car, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But anyway, so he worked and I want to say it took him about a year, year and a half to get enough cash because my father was not a finance guy. He didn't finance anything. Uh, he didn't believe in banks. Even till the day he died, he never had a bank account. And uh, so what he did was he got enough cash. He got, he got introduced to a gentleman that owned a gasoline and oils, petroleum distribution company, just a small family owned place. Yeah. Those two guys hit it off and, uh, and they're still in business today, as a matter of fact. And, uh, and he said, okay, send me, you know, I, I want to say back then it might've been a thousand gallons or something mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, and they put the gas in the ground and that was it. 
And I, just, I, I, I started pumping gas. I want to say, well, I was in first grade, so I must have been six years old, five or six. Yeah, between five and seven. Yeah, well, because we didn't have kindergarten in our school district. And okay. my, birthday was, my birthday is in December, so I started early. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I graduated high school by the time I had just turned 17 when I had graduated high school. I was 16 okay. at the beginning of my senior year. So anyway, so I pumped gas in that, sh- in that place uh, for 10 years, like easily, because I know even after I graduated high school, even though we had lived at this place, what we call the farm, uh, this haunted garage wasn't built yet. Okay. So we actually moved this building here from there. We had an outbuilding out behind a storage building. We took it down and that was our initial garage here. Of course, it's been expanded since then. Why is like, it called the haunted garage? Because it's haunted. <laughs> this, 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 and that's no joke. So this whole property is haunted. Okay. So it's the property, not the building necessarily. This building has something going on in it because, okay. well, let me give you a little background. Where this building is, was a building at one time. Okay. Okay. But that building was torn down. Now this, where we are, where the haunted garage is and where my mom's house is and and where we all grew up, uh, used to be one of the biggest poultry farms in New England at one time. It was absolutely huge. Okay. And there was hen houses all over the place where they, you know, obviously raised chickens. Mm -hmm. And we had heard stories about uh, actually from the realtor and also from people that lived here that the place is haunted. There was an old gentleman that hung himself up in the barn. And I've told that story a million times and that there was a little boy that got killed here or died or something. He was like mm-hmm. nine or 10 years old. He's still running around. So, I mean, I haven't seen him forever, but uh, I want to say the last time I saw him was probably a good 30 years ago. It was the last time I saw him. When you say see, do you mean see with your 3D eyes or see with like in your mind's eye? No, I just see a little kid. Okay. Go past the window at my mom's. Gotcha. And 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 I seen him once there and I seen him one other time. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but I was woken up in the middle of the night by this big gentleman, this big ghost, which I believe is the guy that hung himself in the barn. He's also the guy uh, my father actually saw. And I told this story also. Saw the old guy and the little boy together one night, along with my father's dog that he had had to put to sleep like a year previously. So the ghost of the dog was hanging out with the kid and the old man, which is kind of freaky. But so Buckley's brother, Kellen, runs Lone Star Paranormal Research. He's a ghost hunter. Okay. And he always comes home for the holidays. And and, uh, not this year, but last year, he came up and we did like a three-hour investigation here. He got stuff up in the barn. He actually got stuff in the shop here and in the side bay. And I've actually had uh, people that have worked for me that I would let them use the shop at night, like to Mm -hmm. do their own stuff or or, or in this one case, helping out a friend fix his plow truck because we were getting a storm. And uh, in the next day, he said, I will never, ever work in this shop at night by myself again. I just won't do it. Because he was freaked out. Something freaked him out. Like, yeah. like, we up here, after we record, Buckley and I will just, you know, have a little rap session. Uh, we'll have a couple beers or whatever, and then he'll go home. 
And then I'll say, well, maybe I'll go home. But then I start messing with the show and I start getting it into audacity and downloading it from the mixer, you know, all the stuff. Yeah. And then I'll start hearing things down in the shop. So it's definitely, it's definitely the haunted garage. I wouldn't say it was, if it wasn't, I don't, I don't like to make up stories, but it can get, it can get kind of interesting. I mean, it doesn't bother me. I've been in the shop since, well, we built this shop. I want to say when I was 18. Okay. I've been in the shop for what's that? 40 years. Right. So, uh, you know, whatever the ghost never scared me up at my mom's either or anything like that. Although I can say sometimes when I was still living at home, I would get a little sketched out, like for sure. Mm-hmm. But but once you got into the house and settled in and bed and, you know, usually had a pretty good glow on at that point, mm-hmm. uh, I would just go to sleep and it would be fine. But I mean, uh, what's really weird was like up in my bedroom, it's got these big like wall to ceiling windows and I could look out to this one section of the house that oddly enough is not accessible from inside the house. Okay. It's, it's only accessible from the barn. Cause the barn is attached to the house. Okay. That was a little room that they built for like farmhands to live. Mm-hmm. Like it's over above one of our kitchens. Okay. And I remember, cause my windows, you could look out my windows and look into those windows and see inside that room. Okay. And that always used to sketch me out. I'm like, so I would move my bed so I didn't have to look yeah. out. Yeah. It's just kind of weird, but, but anyways, so- it almost sounds like uh, if if the older man, the little boy, and now the dog. Do you know what it was before it was like the big chicken farm? Like was Indian land? Was it anything like that? Uh, I really don't know, to be honest with you. I do know that the family that owned it, their family was huge in town. And there's still family members here in town. They owned all the farms on this stretch of road. And this piece of land was so big. Of course, it got split up over the years, but mm-hmm. like there's an 18 hole golf course out like off of our back 40. Wrong button. Sorry. Giant golf course outside the back 40. Yeah. So the golf course out there was part of this property at one time also because there's a cemetery out there that the original builder of this property is buried in that cemetery. And, and funny enough, you ever heard the saying, what in the Sam Hill's going on here? It's yeah. 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 That was the guy's name. His name was Samuel E. Hill. Okay. Uh, but we also have a uh, cemetery on this property as well. It only has it only has one uh, gravestone, and it's marble, which is odd because most of the gravestones here are granite or they're yep. slate. And there's like three other markers that are just ledge rock that have that have been hand carved into. And uh, and I actually keep that cemetery pretty nice. And and Kellen did a investigation inside that cemetery as well because that's where a lot of my older pets are buried up in that cemetery. <clears throat> so it's a really unique piece of property. I do believe that, uh, and Sean and I have talked about this while well, Buckley too, that we are living in a cursed town. Like there was some type of some curse put on this town, maybe from you know uh, indigenous people that lived here. Uh, I know there was some indigenous people that were not treated very well by the settlers here, uh, but rightfully so, because when I ran the historical society, I read a lot of accounts about what this Indian used to do. 
and uh, and he was really bad to the settlers. Well, you know, they got him drunk one night, and basically to call it call it what it is, they they killed him. They got him drunk and they killed him. Yeah. So, uh, so I think that you know, there's certain parts of this town, like where Anonymous Sean lives. Uh, a lot of weird stuff goes on down there. Very sketchy part of town, which happens to be the geographical center of this town. And not only that, at one time there was a Masonic Hall there. So, you know, when you want to talk about, you know, the Masons or the occult or anything like that, of course, you know, we don't know what happened there. We don't know what happened to the Masonic Hall. We don't know if it burned down. It's just, it's almost like we know it was there, but that's all we know. That's weird. You think that that would be like in the library or the town records or something? Well, we have a historical society. I was the president of it for 10 years. And, uh, I can remember, you know, trying to look up certain things and, and it's almost like some of that information was just like, whoop, gone. Yeah. That, that page was just uh, ripped out or that was conveniently forgotten yeah, or yeah. 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 So, because there's a big house right next to where that, like a really old house from the 1700s kind of on the same property where this Masonic hall was. And, and I've known three people that have lived there and nobody lives there for more than three or four years. Yeah, they buy it, they get sketched out, they sell it. <laughs> Somebody else moves in. I mean, it's a beautiful place. I mean, it's really nice. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know, you know, what's going on here. I know that there's a weird anomaly that we have here that kills batteries. Like like automotive batteries, for instance. Like in your town? In this section of town. Okay. Because it's not only that me that experiences it. So we have some friends that have a shop up the street from us and they kind of do different stuff than we do. So we work together. Okay. And when they move their shop up there from the other end of town, after about six months, one of the uh, younger kids was down here and he says, hey, Ronnie, do you have a problem with batteries going dead here all the time? I said, oh, my God, all the time. I said, so, so, so you're, you're having that going on. Is that what's happening? Oh yeah. Oh my God. If anything is parked out there for over a week, we have to jumpstart it. Weird. Yeah. It's very weird. I don't know if it's some type of magnetic anomaly that's in the ground here, but it literally will take a brand new battery and kill it probably in two weeks. Well, I know uh, if you like follow ghost hunters or things like that, when they're in a, haunted location they'll say their batteries get drained Mm -hmm. and so maybe these i don't know about this other gentleman's property that you're speaking about but these uh ghosts that are living on that property maybe they're using the batteries that are just sitting in the yard and that's how they're staying alive i guess or maybe so what you're kind of alluding to is some entity that is draining the batteries for for themselves to power up themselves could be very well could be. And I don't tell you, I, 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 it's, I, I picked up on this like the first like year that we were here because I'm like, okay, I'll go out and grab that car. It's been sitting out there for a week or so. And it would be, I mean, stone dead. Yeah. I mean, not like click, click, like stone dead. And this was before we had jump packs, right? Now you just have a jump pack. You just carry it out there, hook it up and go, right? You used to have to drag out the battery charger or you'd have to get out jump or cables. I mean, that sucked. Yeah. But, but it's still happening. So, yeah, that's interesting. I, I would like to, I really would like to get to the bottom of it because I'll tell you, even up past this other shop, there's a, a gentleman that uh, his family owned one of the big gravel pits in town. So he's got a lot of toys. He's got lots of cars and Corvettes, mm-hmm. a Corvette collector. He tells me the same thing. He has to buy battery tenders to put on all his vehicles 
or else he, every time he wants to take one for a ride, he has to jumpstart it. You know, and, and having to continually jumpstart uh, electronic vehicles is not good for them. No. 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 So, so there's definitely something weird going on here. Now, we know in a lot of uh, folklore, when the settlers and, and, and I'm just going to call them Indians. I had somebody message me, oh, you shouldn't call them Indians. Okay, I'm just going to call them Indians. <laughs> the Indians and the settlers would, would get into these, uh, you know, little battles or whatever, and the Indians would curse the land. Yeah. Now, we know that from the story of Mount Chikora, from the, the Chief Chikora, who was an Indian up in the lakes region. And how he cursed the, the neighborhood, uh, or that whole region up there. And then there was one here. His name was Sabatis. He's the one that they, they got drunk and killed. There was a rumor that he may have cursed the land. But when we hear stories about the Bridgewater Triangle down in Massachusetts. Yep. Like they're saying that that was all due to, uh, to an, uh, you know, an Indian curse. So I think there's something to that, like for sure. Yeah. For sure. Because. Uh, there was a tribe here in this town. It was called the Quanipi tribe. Okay. And I want to say they were part of uh, the Mohawk Nation. I'd have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure they were part of the Mohawk Nation. Okay. Because uh, when you get a, a, a little further out, then you got uh, Abenaki and uh, oh, what is the big one up in Maine? Oh, my God. I can't remember it right now. But anyway, so, so yeah, so it was heavily populated with indigenous people like before the settlers came. Mm-hmm. In, in this town, I want to say people started moving into this town uh, before it was actually incorporated into a town, which was 1773. So people lived here for like 100 years, like prior to that. Okay. And uh, and I guess some crazy stuff happened. I mean, there's some, some really cool stories down at the Historical Society. I want to... Actually, I'm a lifetime director down there, so I, I can go down there and scope that stuff out anytime I want. Actually, you know, because I, we like to talk about some weird history stuff on the Wicked Planet. And I think that that would be super interesting. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to live here for for a subject to be interesting, right? No. And I know uh, Matt from The Great Deception was kind of doing a little bit of that. It wasn't necessarily local to him. But he was talking about like interesting stories that he come across, like interesting old newspaper articles. And if you did like a short, whatever, half hour segment, because I know people are always wanting more content from the Wicked Planet and just, you know, a half hour like, hey, I read this story and, you know, you just read the newspaper article and share your thoughts or your personal experiences about it. I think people would love that. Yeah, you know, I really need to start kind of utilizing reels a little bit more. And I had an idea of doing like uh, a couple of reels a week just like historical reels or something yeah. short or even doing some short segments on wicked planet just to put out in between when the shows are coming out. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, we're still at one show a week. I mean, once in a while I, I'll do a bonus show and put something interesting out there, but I want to start getting into a little bit more of the paranormal and t- tying the paranormal into the history. Yep. Because I think the two are linked. Yes. Right. Because paranormal stuff, this is residual like residual trauma to get back to trauma that that happened could be a hundred years ago, could have been fifty, could be you know five hundred years ago. I mean, we don't know, but I think I think it makes it really interesting. I think people like really like interesting stories like that. Oh no, it's absolutely the same, the same old thing over and over and over again of all the you know craziness uh, craziness that's going on in the world that we're inundated with like bad news on a daily basis. Well, and. Okay. Which I think is like another thing if you want to talk about speed bumps is how just 
everybody and every day. I mean, it touches everybody. Yeah. Like the speed bumps that people have to deal with just psychologically now. Like I think everybody's uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Every, everybody just psychologically has been taking such a big hit. And yeah. We're all traumatized. We're collectively traumatized. Yeah. 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 And it's starting to come out. And now, you know, we don't know what's coming. You know, I mean, every time we look at the news, there's something new coming, right? Yeah. That so. constant fear cycle. Um, yeah. I saw someone and they were talking about how a lot of people around the same time started talking about how tired they were and not just like a winter tired, but like this complete drained, like, um, emotionally drained. emotionally everything drained and she's like for me it clicked because after a big trauma that's what you do is you want to retreat and you need to recharge and we're collectively doing that because it's basically been almost three years to the day that the world the world went weird right mm-hmm. so collectively we're all realizing okay maybe this part is past and we're all just exhausted. I think we're all emotionally exhausted, L. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's anybody that would disagree with that. I mean, you know, it all started out when COVID started and then it was the, you know, the heavy duty fear. And I mean, we all bought into it. And then, you know, as, you know, as time passed, we were starting to catch on a little bit. Right. You know? And uh, so then where they're like, well, you know, okay, so now this is done. Now we're hearing, uh, you know, not only this war in Ukraine has been going on for a year, and now they're talking, oh, we might bring back the draft because we're going to send kids to Ukraine to fight Russia. It's like, no, that's not happening. But but even if it's not going to happen, just the fact that they said it on the news, now people are going to have it in their minds, right? Well, and it's not just the news, because if you think about COVID for a second, right, because either you were fearful of what the news told you, or you weren't fearful, but you had to then push back against everyone else. And that in its own way was exhausting. So it didn't matter what side you landed on. You were still exhausted and drained. Yes. And that's, and you're absolutely correct on that because, uh, you know, once I started to figure out, you know, and, and Buckley too, I mean, he woke up really quick to this and, uh, and, and then we started doing a lot of shows where we were like, okay, folks, this is, what we feel is really happening, you know, you can take it any way you want it. Uh, but I remember in some of my earlier shows, I've gone back and listened to a few of them. And, and thank God the show has evolved since then. But uh, I was pretty militant about this agenda that they were pushing on us because, you know, I, I come from a long line of patriots. I I consider myself pretty patriotic. I mean, I've had ancestors fought in all the wars, including the revolution. So, you know, to see what the actual agenda was. And once they had that power grab, they weren't ever going to release it. And that's why I think right now, like they're releasing just a little bit, just to get people to let their guard down a little bit. And then they're going to hit us again. And, 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 you know, we went through and then, and then all these messed up election cycles that we go through. Well, and now of course we have a presidential election coming up now in New Hampshire, it's a bigger deal, I think, than a lot of other parts of the country because they all come to New Hampshire. So being in New Hampshire, we're kind of subjected to it a, a lot heavier than other people are in the country, right? So they're already coming into town. They're already coming into New Hampshire. They're already yeah. campaigning. Like, like, it's just, it's, 
we just got rid of the midterms and we were all very thankful when that was over. And then now, you know, because that's the cycle here. It's every two years here. And it's just now we got more negativity, more trauma. They're all going to say how this one did this and this one caused that. And this one's going to fix this and that. And then right. not do anything. Right. I don't care who they are. They don't do anything to fix anything. But I mean, so so that's what we have to look forward to. And then, of course, weather gets people down. I know it gets me down. And uh, because I'm a summer guy, I could I could deal with summer tw- 12 months out of the year. Like, I don't ever care if I ever see snow ever again in my life. And uh, so, so you have that working against you. And then you have all this, what I call media-based trauma going on. Yep. And the more you wake up, the more trauma you get. And, and that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about uh, people like us that have podcasts that we talk about geopolitics on is that we have to absorb all. It's almost like empaths, right? We absorb all of this crap. And we have to decipher it. And then but but at the same time, we got to keep our heads screwed on straight. Right. And when you have all this stuff going on, look what's going on in Ohio. It's like the state of Ohio was under chemical attack. Yeah. I mean, literally every couple of days, something big, big is going. And I never there nothing ever happened in Ohio. Like ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it was a beautiful state. I've been through Ohio on multiple occasions on cross-country trips on my motorcycle. And Met some really cool friends in Ohio, you know, camp out at their house and things like that. It was just really nice. It didn't really look any different than New Hampshire, to be honest with you. It was pretty similar. I mean, it's flat. It's, yeah, it's flat. There, there's no mountains in Ohio. It's I mean, flat. Versus here. I mean, versus here. Yeah. Right there, I don't think there's a single piece of flat land anywhere. Like when they make a road flat, like they have to work to make the road flat. Yeah. But uh, but anyways, yeah, So so we absorb all of that. And then we try to then we try to decipher it, and then we try to put it in a form to where we can get the message out that that in a way that people can make it understandable. And I don't mean to say that that people are dumb. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it's so convoluted and so contrived, and there's so many lies and so much BS out there that you have to weed through a lot of that. And do we get it right every time? Probably not, but we probably get it right 80% of the time. Yeah. So, you know, we, we project that like, like, like then I was feeling that I was guilty for putting trauma out to people because I'm not telling them anything that's good news, you know, but, uh, but, but I think it's woken a lot of people up. I think it's made a lot of people think differently. Oh no, you know, it the, has. There was a lot of people in the beginning that had a certain mindset and they were not going to waver from that. But now it seems that, that they have, like they, they, they slow, like slow baby steps. Yes. Yes. Come out of it themselves. And then, and then what comes after that, then comes the anger part. Yeah. Where and it becomes deal with their anger about it. Yeah. And almost like the bullhorning phase and you want to yell and you want to scream and you want to tell everyone. Um, and I love your show because I can listen to it and get the information. And, you know, some of these other podcasts that I listen to. I couldn't have that for my show because I know for me, it would drain me too much if I, if that's what I talked about. And so, and, go ahead. And I'm sorry, Elle, but I think this is why we only do one episode a week about yeah. certain things. And uh, because like sometimes anonymous Sean, like he can, he gets like wiped out. Yeah. You know, after a show, believe it or not, because he concentrates so hard on it. He concentrates on all of his research. And I mean, and I do a lot of research and Buckley has a lot of research. 
all three of us have families. We all have, you know, wives and kids at home. So, so we, so we take the time to do that. But sometimes after, like after you hit that send button and you send that show out to anchor or wherever you're sending it, it's like a sense of relief. It's like, okay, now I cannot think about anything for like just a day. Yeah. Like just for one day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I don't know, you know, it's all part of the fight. I think we're in a battle. We're not only in a battle physically with what's happening in the world, but we're in a spiritual battle. It's a, it's a battle of good versus evil. And I don't care anybody, you know, if you're religious or not or whatever, or how you want to like present it, it is what it is. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. You have people like us that are good people. Don't like seeing what we're seeing. We don't like being repressed. We don't like being censored and we don't like people telling us what to do especially what they're telling us to do goes against our values and our morals. Right. And this is one of the things that we're working on on the wicked plan is, is trying to get it out there and, and to bring back, you know, good thoughts for people to have good family values and, and live a moral lifestyle and things like that. I mean, I would admit it. I wasn't very moral growing up. I was always loyal and you could always trust me, but I did some pretty crazy stuff in my lifetime. You know what I mean? Cause I grew up around crazy people. So you would right. inherit that. You know, it's just how that works. Well, but, uh, but yeah, so I mean, we just keep trying. We're in a battle. Every Wednesday we record, we go to war, we put the we put the show out on a Thursday, and, and hopefully people like uh, like what they're what they're listening to. And you know, I mean, I gotta say, our listeners have gone up threefold since since last year, and uh, and the numbers are looking really good. So so I think that we're doing something right. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, if people have questions for you and they want to connect with you or they want to find you, I know it's the Wicked Planet podcast, but do you want to give like your Instagram or any specific platforms? And this will also be in the show notes. But for those who are too lazy, click on the show notes. Yeah. And, and you know, I am very adamant about putting all the info in show notes, right? And, and it's so easy. All they got to do is, all they got to do is click on things. Yep. And, uh, sorry about that. And, all they're going to do is click on it. It'll bring you right to my page, but I'm real easy to find. I'm only on a few platforms. So I'm on Instagram. That's the biggest one. Ron from New England on Instagram. Come and check me out. All one word. Just click on it. Hit the follow button. You'll see some pretty interesting things from time to time. I started, I don't know if you noticed, I started posting uh, lots of uh, adopt me videos and reels. And stories oh no, that- I have. And I'm like, I have a rescue pup myself. And I'm like, I can't do this. And I have to scroll past him because he just breaks my heart. It's like the it's SPCA commercial. It's freaking traumatizing, L. But you got to do it. So I'm a big, huge animal lover. Yeah, like, so am I. I, I. I don't, my wife and I donate to a pit bull rescue. Both of my pit bulls are from a rescue. They were both babies when we got them. Their mother, their mommies were freaking abandoned, right? So anyway, so uh, anybody listening, you're going to start seeing a little bit of that stuff. And I'm a huge cat lover, too. I like to love animals. But anyways, the other place you can find me on Instagram is at the Wicked Planet podcast page. Okay. That's all just the show show stuff. It's like exclusively show stuff. And I am on Twitter at Ron from NE. I got past my ban. Well, I didn't get past it. I just started another account. Uh, if you want to find me for geopolitical stuff, I'm not active over there yet, but I am Ron from New England on Gab and on Truth Social. So I have a new project in the works, and that's all I'm going to say. All right. I'm thinking about doing a standalone thing for just geopolitics, not conspiracies, not things like that. So 
kind of kind of weighing that over. But L, I want to thank you for having me on the Speed Bumps podcast. Thank you. I, I know we've had a few interruptions. It's a very busy day here at the Haunted Garage. I wanted to make sure I set some time aside so we could get together because I want I've been wanting to get together with you for a long time. But right now, I have a parts delivery that I got to go pay for. You go do parts delivery, Ron. And thank y'all for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day.